0: This is the audio podcast. It is Tuesday, the 3rd of March, and it is show 143, Welcome Solo Take. I am yes. Samuel Freeman. There is no Scott here this week, but Adam Janch is here.
1: Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, yes, and everyone, welcome to this Week's episode, we've got our news a feature by Sam, and we've got Plundor. Uh, you can head to the audio podcast website to get the notes for today's show, which also has uh, links to the things we're talking about. That's the the audio podcast. co. uk forward slash show forward slash one four three, and you know you can get in contact with us. We'll do the contact at the end because it makes more. I think feel feel like it makes more sense to build up discussion and then talk about it. Okay, so news then. Um, the UK charts now include streaming,
0: is our first item of news. So, yeah. yeah. That's the thing now. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, yeah. I suppose it's kind of inevitable, but um, do, uh, it, is there a, a difficulty in that streaming, like, how can they verify that all of the streams are legitimate? I, like, I remember like we covered problem, in the right? podcast a while ago, um, a service on SoundCloud that basically ramps up your plays. You pay them what, like, twenty dollars or something, and that ramps up your plays to make it look like your music is more played and it changes its state in the algorithm and what not, yeah. so how do, how do the people who compile the charts know that the figures they're getting are actually legitimate?
0: And where, yeah, it must be limited as to where they're getting the data from, so Spotify would be one, it's UK so maybe
1: Pandora's not relevant here. Um, I guess, yeah, SoundCloud wouldn't be involved, but yeah. um, I mean there must be is there a way of gaming the uh, gaming Spotify and getting more plays, um, that kind of thing? Although, in Spotify, there, there isn't a a number that says how many plays something's had, is there? Is no,
0: maybe there's a play count for your personal, how many times you have listened to it. That might that might feature as a number. Yeah, um, like, like it does in iTunes and things.
1: Well, I'm sure they've thought about it, and they must have some solution. But that's the that's the one thing that I think. But I mean, you know, it's sensible as a as a, a market that um, you know is bound to technology, and technology in- progresses. You know, they have to change the way they do their numbers. You know, do you think that there's a, a, do do you think there's a certain way it's going to impact um, what gets in the charts?
0: Potentially. I mean th- let's let's talk about the way that they use these numbers. It's not just because it's we're talking about the album chart rather than the streaming chart. So it's what they look at is they look at the top twelve tracks. So a track an album may have more than twelve tracks, but they only look at twelve from each album. So okay. and they count how many times each of those tracks have been played. They then discount or they don't totally discount, but they weigh down the top two so that end singles don't affect it too much. Okay. So They add up the numbers that it's had, get get an average from that, having weighed down the top two, and then they divide it by a thousand. And then that's the number which goes in as if it was a CD sale.
1: Okay. Or
0: a download sale. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, so if we discount the top two, they're looking at 10 tracks, basically. They're looking at how many times the 10 tracks of the album have been played. So, this it's kind of devaluing it by a hundred, I suppose, because they're dividing it by a thousand. So, they're saying that a hundred plays of the album is equivalent to one sale of it. Okay, seems that's, that's my interpretation of the numbers.
1: Okay, well, I mean, I've got to say that I don't really know. Um, it's, it's, uh, I don't tend to interact much with the charts because, um, I don't find the chart most chart music that interesting
0: yep the um it was Scott Scott who posted the um Scott, news Scott item Scott for this TV. and he well the yeah. link, link goes to BBC and the discussion of it and um and there's yeah there's a lot of Pop acts that are named within that article and the number of album sales they've had. I didn't. I think I recognised one or two of the names. I certainly would not recognise any of the music. But I, if you, OfficialCharts.com. I'll try and get that added to the show notes, but that's where I okay. heard from that.
1: Well, so. I, I've had a recent kind of a bit of um, exposure to pop music through Four Music, which is a TV channel on Freeview, and uh, I'm like. They play the same 20 tracks, it seems, over and over again, and the videos are terrible and most of the music's pretty boring, I find. Anyway, so um, <laughs> UK streaming something. Um, next news article article is that the Wu-Tang Clan, once upon a time in Shaolin, I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense at all.
0: <laughs> it does, I'm guessing. It's good i have read this, isn't it? Have you read this one at all? Do
1: you know? um, no, no, I haven't. That's fine.
0: It's a good. I'm. Yeah, but I did. Um, so Wu Tang Clan. We're okay so far. We've heard of them. I've heard of them. You know, I know of a bit them. about them. Yeah, they They've been around a while, and they. They have a good knack of. Um, kind of, creating their own mythology about themselves, and you know, it's They've kind of. It's a collective of artists who have their own individual careers separately from being part of Wu Tang clan and they kind of sponsor or adopt other artists and they have fashion labels and yep, always di- always diversifying. They are a, a, a commercial entity in in a real sense. But this current project, they're gonna take in a bit of a Yeah, so if if all that street, if all like, the contemporary trend is for streaming and stuff, and that kind of is in way we've discussed how that's potentially devaluing money, and devaluing music in monetary terms. Mm-hmm. What this album, which is called Once Upon a Time in Xiaoling, um this album is intended to kind of challenge that in a way by they're only going to have one physical copy of it.
1: Okay. I think
0: They've already done lives and stuff like that, allegedly, um, which is to be believed. And there's so they've made this one copy of the album, and they've kept it all very secretive. The, there's links to um, short clips of music that can be heard, um, but the whole album is being kept very secret, very safe. It's in a silver platinum box or something. It has a leather-bound like, book with it, and this one copy will be sold through an art auction house. Um, And the owner, the buyer, then, will be the sole keeper of this album. And in 88 years' time, the copyright will be transferred to them so they can do whatever they
1: want with it. In 88 years' time? Yep. And are they allowed to transfer that um, that agreement to, like, their uh, next of kin and this kind of thing?
0: Yep, I think that the... Yeah, it becomes, I think that there's documents encased with this product, um, this, this artifact, I mean, it's, it's more of an artifact than a product, and, yeah, it's the owner of the albums, the owner of it, at the time of 88 years, I think, would then, could then commercially release it, give it away for free, you know, make copies of it, but the certainly the idea is that it would be unlawful for them to, duplicate it and redistribute it ahead of that time.
1: I see. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, Why? (laughs) Why? Okay. There's a couple of quotes, some quotes from tweets here. One says that, We felt that
0: retail commercialization and mass production would dilute the status of the album as a one-off art and compromise its integrity of our statements. They're making a statement with this.
1: Okay. So, basically, they're just coming up with a way of getting some press headlines.
0: I suppose, yeah, and making and making some money as well, and drawing attention to themselves. They have there is other, we do have another album that was released quite recently, I think. Is it A Better Tomorrow? I'm not sure when that was. But there's a, the other quote, I read the wrong quote then I had the wrong tab open, um, the quote I was going to used was, we're trying to reattach values to music for the benefit of all kinds of musicians. We released A Better Tomorrow, which is for our fans, but we created Once Upon a Time in Shaolin for a different purpose, plan for the two records to balance
1: each other. Okay. Well, you know, let him do it. You know, it's not like it affects you and me in any way and uh you know, let's experiment with the with the art form. You know, I think that's that's fine. Yep. Um I don't think I have anything else to say on it. <laughs>
0: No, but yeah, it's definitely they they're, ch- they're taking what kind of was popular music or is popular music, Then they've the albums been made kind of in a production style that harks back to their their first album, which was from ninety three. So they're trying they've you know attempted to recreate that kind of sound within the production apparently, and but having taken that last night, I think it was um, or certainly this week at the um, Museum of Modern Art in Queens, New York. Was a there was a thirteen minute kind of preview play for private viewing. So it's, yeah, they're completely framing this as art, one hundred percent, which is good for them. I say.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's do it now. Something that I'm probably a little bit more synchronized with is Native Instruments because I am a Native Instruments user. I have the Machine Studio here, um, so I use Machine, and uh, as part of. What you can do with machine is download these additional expansion packs. Um, one of them is a new one called Neon Drive. Now, is it this is for machine? Yes, it is. Um, I, uh, you actually, when when you buy a machine, you do actually get a uh, a voucher that allows you to buy uh, something of this ilk for, for free. Um, I used mine already, but I spotted the. Neon Drive, and I thought, hey, that looks kind of cool. I kind of like the look of that one. Um, and it's basically like a lush synth pop expansion pack for your machine um, setup. So yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool.
0: So it includes eight projects, forty drum kits, a whole bunch of samples and one
1: shot samples, and patterns in the hundreds. And uh, I mean. You know, because uh, in the last few weeks, you know, I've mentioned that I've been using uh, Ableton Live. Yeah. And um, I previously, I have just made an album using the Machine Studio. And the thing I've been frustrated by with Live is the, me- the relative meagerness of what you get with it. Um, it's uh, the actual software is I'm very interested in, but you get you do get a bunch of like uh, expansion packs. Kind of um, like loops and whatnot. But you don't get like a decent synthesizer that you can actually program yourself, a proper full blown sampler. You have to buy the most expensive version of live to get these things. And I got the middle version. And so I feel kind of hamstrung. Now, machine is kind of the same, apart from you get so much more with the initial pack that. It kind of doesn't factor as much, if you get what I mean. Mm. Um, and uh, both Ableton and Native Instruments do these packs to expand their own softwares, but um, I, you know I'd say that, um, that you, I, I feel like maybe you get more with machine when you actually when you get it. Um, but then Ableton's a different beast. You know, Max for Live. Um, it's a bit more of a flexible piece of software. Things like that. I mean, I'm rambling, really. <laughs> I'm rambling.
0: That's quite all right, Adam. That's quite all right. Is it my turn to ramble? Should we, shall we move on from? Should we move on from there?
1: I will pass the rambling baton to you now.
0: Okay. This is um. This is going to turn into a proper ramble. So, last week it was. It's my turn to do a feature. This week we are doing. on that review last time I did it um, so I'm going to need to switch cameras which means I need to access the things so I am going to switch cameras for the benefit of the YouTube I join the discussion but obviously this is a podcast so I will describe what I am up to um, if I can get this in shot sure. ok Maybe. You know when you spend ages setting something up and then it comes to use it and it's not how you left it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after years of being a non-i thing user, I, I'm kind of reluctantly into that now. But let's pick up where we left off last time with this beathawk. So this is UVI's Beathawk where they sent us um, a, a code to do this for review. I'm kind of already done the review. I'll let them know that I'm kind of re-reviewing it. But the review was based on me playing with it a few times over a week, and in the two weeks since then, I've played quite a apps that are free of charge, which is kind of what I'm more interested in really, because we're talking about recreational music making now, rather than, maybe, I'm not sure where the line, where, where the line, is there a line that, I told you I was going to be rambling. OK, there's a couple of things I did want to talk about in here specifically. I'm going to start with the more negative things. To create a new project, you can go to the a menu and click New Project, and immediately a new project will load up, That's which is kind of good, and it's empty, there's no... the default um, of assignments are all... Deleted and you can go from back, which is great. Except that it has a kind of old-school way of saving it. In order to save your work, you need to explicitly say "Save Project" or "Save Project As," um, which means that if you've been working on something and you accidentally click up here and then click that, it will wipe your work. Oh, I it. that demo wasn't on camera, um,
1: sorry. How, but how does it handle if you go to a different app, for example, or if the phone? Well, that's an iPad, but. You know, if you go to a different app for a bit and then you come back.
0: Yep. Yeah, so yeah, this is it is an. I think this is this app only is an iPad app. This is an iPad MIDI that we're on, um, mini. Um, it's quite happy to be in the background. I can do that now. I'm going to show some other apps in a bit. So if I switch across here, um, oh, if we go to the home screen, it sometimes. All right, right now it's not. It will tell you that if the microphone's there, it doesn't continue playing. Actually, one of the things I was planning to. Show is so let's open last save project. Oh how strange that is. Okay,
1: yep. With <laughs> the camera it all works.
0: No. No. Well, what's happened? Okay. Loading and saving of patches seems a little bit buggy to me on this beathawk. Um, at the beginning of this, when when I was setting up this camera with Adam just before we started the show, I said, "Oh no, I've accidentally over." written my latest pattern, so I had this there was a track, a project, and I'd made two, Made there was already one pattern in there and this morning I had this, and it appeared that, that I'd disappeared and now it's come back so I thought I'd lost it but it is there. How strange. On one occasion I had um, perhaps 10 of the 16 pads all loaded up with sounds that I'd recorded myself and when I loaded up the project, several days later, maybe a week later, the, it said that the samples were in the pads and the patterns that I'd recorded in were there. I could see the pads lighting up when I pressed play but there was no sound coming out and the only way I could find to restore that was to go through one by one and reload. So in the track you can go to a, a browser and, reload, and from the browser Reload the sample. So yeah, it's it's not without its bugs, but but one although you can when you record patterns, you can you record in real time how uh, that pattern should be, and there's no um, like piano roll or anything like that that shows you that pattern, which I really like because I'm always yeah if I can see the visual representation, I always use it. Whereas this forces you just to kind of like use a more performative way of doing it. So the only timeline representation is of entire
1: patterns. So I've always wondered if, uh, if actually working that way, um, like having... To, an example would be to use an EQ on a mixing desk rather than using an EQ plugin where you get to see the, the curves and everything. I wonder if that would actually, over time, make you better.
0: Yeah, well, maybe. It certainly it just forces a different way of working, which is which I think find good. It's kind of refreshing.
1: Would it make you
0: better over time?
1: Well, I wonder if it will hone your skills, your hearing skills over, um, because that's I mean that's how they used to mix. You know, back in before you'd have a visual interface for things. It was all done on your ears, so you could only you could only be like eqing, compressing, and everything, either using where the dials are, or by hearing, and you'd obviously be trying to listen to it. So, that's it. And yeah, I find that
0: the the direct interface of DAW, having like tracks, everything arranged in lines, is um. Yeah, it's very useful, and we kind of over the past decade or two of working with that type of interface. It, yeah, if you if you know if you want to work in that way, it's great. But I I find that for just kind of creative thinking, I, I can store that kind of information in my mind, and then it, by not having it on screen to play with, makes me play with different things on screen.
1: Mm.
0: I find that, yeah, it feels more creative in a way because it's because it's more restrictive. I'm having to think about it in a different way, and I like thinking in different ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go for it. Right.
0: Okay, so let's move out of this app and come back to it in a minute. Let's look at some other stuff. So the other things I wanted to look at were... Oh, there was other stuff in there I wanted to look at, but, you know, we've, we've been ranting for a while. Perhaps it would have been more interesting. This is little little MIDI machine which is free. Um, It's from Synthetic Bits, and it's kind of it's got a retro interface to it. You can randomise the patterns and you can play. Now the sounds that that is so it has built-in sounds, but they're just just like by switching those off, we can send the MIDI to another app. And on this occasion, I've gone with the NanoLog from. Steinberg, which is free um, as well. Which yeah. is very basic synth, but yeah, has has things, and I mean, if we go for the acid house bass, then it immediately sounds like reason um, to me. If we play the pattern, so... <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Um, So, yeah.
0: So, as we can see, switching up to here, we are able to hear the sound in the background now. Oh, I think all of these things have awareness of Wist, the wireless sync start technology thing that was made by Korg. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: but they don't all have the ability to play the audio in the background. So, if I go back to here, oh, the tempo hasn't been saved. That's what wasn't. That's what was lost. If I set this back to the same tempo, because they're on Wist is great for synchronizing things across different iOS devices, but on the same device, it doesn't really have any helpfulness. So, hopefully. If, Okay, but now if I switch apps So say oh, I want to go we
1: and... are in complete hip-hop territory here Electronic I... hip-hop territory
0: But you see now Although The playback on the beat Hawk has ceased Unfortunately, if I go back it'll still be there But yep yeah. Beathawk will not play its audio in the background. Now, maybe there's a setting that I've missed that enables that. It's possible, I suppose. Preferences, perhaps. Um, so there's the Wist Sync. Is there? And that's just the effect setting. So, yeah. In terms of multiple apps on the same iPad, I, the, the, yeah, there's an issue there. There's ways you can. There's certain things you can do, other things you can't do. So. Okay, is that is that ranty enough and long enough? I think that maybe I might stop now.
1: That's all Um, right.
0: The last the last thing I wanted to say was about like the reasons why things are free. So Beehawk's not free. Um, it's. I can't remember. Was it about?
1: It's very cheap. It's like five pounds or
0: something. Yeah, about around about five pounds, I think. Oh dear, definitely less than ten pounds. It does have obviously, uh, not obviously, but it does have downloadable content. So there is in the libraries as well as the stuff that you get for free, which is an EDM factory and an urban factory. And then you've got your user library of all the sounds you can record.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There is an, a big long list of different things, world percussion, vintage guitars, funk, electro pop, etc. And these are all in-app purchases, which you can get for 3 or £4 pounds each.
1: Almost the same price as BeatHawk itself.
0: That's it. That's one of the, that was one of the reasons I kept coming back to this. Like would, I be, would, I, would I ever get tempted by buying them? I don't know. And it
1: does do instruments as well. I think The thing is, you don't have much recourse. You see, that's, that's the main way that you get sounds for BeatHawk. Um, but if you're on like the computer platform, if you're on a computer platform, you can get a plug-in or samples from anywhere. Really, so you're kind of a captive audience in a way, um, but you know what? It's fine. Like the uh, the Neon Drive that we mentioned before in the news, that is 44 pounds. So you know you can buy 11, 11 uh, packs here in hawk and get you know for the same price. That's pretty decent. Uh, yep, yeah, it is. And have you bought one? Have you seen what they come with?
0: No, I've listened to a few of the. You, for for free, you can listen to what they um their demo tra- tracks and some of them. Yeah. I w- I'm going to go back and show one of the things that I didn't show earlier, which is to do with loops. So as well as hits, um, there are instruments as well. And with the loops, if we go to the sample, um, we can perhaps see. Well, anyway, in the interface, you have. It shows the loop, and by default, it will, when you play the tra- the tap, when you play the pad, it'll play the loop like this. I'm it, didn't I? Um. Okay, which is all well and good. And then, if we go into the pitch mode of the interface, we get this kind of keyboard interface, and we can play that same loop at different volumes. So let's just turn the volume up on this um, at different pitches, so it'll keep the tempo the same but pitch shifter. okay, all well and good, but then we can switch on to this other mode which I kind of discovered by accident, I'm sure that maybe it's demonstrated somewhere apologies for those that are watching the camera, this is like terrible camera work um, under here So underneath the representation of the waveform, there is a little keyboard icon. And then that will map each of the slices of the loop to the keys. So. Which I think is kind of cool. And then it's got this repeat feature, which will, whatever the quantize is set to, you can just hold down a key Which in the context oh, yeah, of
1: yeah. drumming, the is... machine has got the same thing called note repeat. Can you change the uh, the resolution of that?
0: Yes, you can. So if I switch it, we're on 85 BPM. So I've put it up to 132 of that, 172nd. Oh, etc. So yeah, in the context of a loop, that can be kind of cool. I liked that feature. There we go. That was the bit that I skipped out in my list of things <laughs> I wanted to mention. But So, yeah, that's it, that kind of thing. Although you can record in your own hits, there's no mechanism for creating your own sliced loops. So, okay. Yeah. That's why I brought that back up. Sweet. <laughs> Shall we plunder?
1: We can. Indeed. But uh, one... Uh, one question I have for you, Sam, is what do you think my camera picture is this week?
0: Oh, let's have a look. I was just switching my own camera, so now let's have a look at Adam.
1: You've got a big it, XLR right in the middle of your screen there. I have, yeah, that's because, that's because it was doubling up as my... Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's my camera holder, which I probably could have focused like, ah, oh, never mind, last minute. So, right, I'm looking at your camera's feed now, which is definitely a mixing desk because we have solo and on buttons. Now, because it's a solo and on, I'm guessing it's a Yamaha,
1: is that it right? It is a Yamaha. It is a oh, Yamaha man, mixing to be, desk. To be honest, from the picture, you're, there's no obvious clue which model it is, but do you want to throw a guess out there?
0: Um, I'm just going to go with 01V, hello, I don't think it is.
1: It's, or is an it? o, it's an It's an O. One V ninety six. It is an O. One V. Fantastic ninety six. Yeah. Brilliant. Because oh. you know, I'm not going to own an O. Two R or a, something bigger than that. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I've been setting up my, uh, my little studio a bit more. So uh, I'll probably do a few more. And I put my camera on a on a USB extension lead. So now I'll be able to you know put it on other things in my studio. For future weeks, mm. Good, huh? Right. Let's do some plunder. Okay. First up is um. Uh, oh, I've lost the tab. It's
0: Peter K. Is it? Is that the is that the guy's name? Yep. Oh, episode one. Yep. I've I've not seen this, but it's mishearing of pop lyrics, and making jokes
1: about it. This is quite clearly a Scott thing. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, it's easy to mishear pop pop lyrics sometimes, um, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's fairly boring. But I imagine Peter Kay has done a good job of, uh, you know, picking the right ones and weaving them into his stand-up. The thing to remember about this link, possibly not safe for work. So if you're at the Audio Podcast website, um, at the show notes for today's... So, just be a bit cautious about clicking that link there. Just be a bit cautious. Fair enough. Um, the, um, uh, anything else on that one?
0: No, except that I'd never be able to. Somebody, somebody over someone's shoulder, I saw on Facebook a, um, a video which was edited together of, of the pop tunes themselves, of their, of their own videos, and playing the original. Sound, but then they had subtitles of how you could miss, of what you might mishear it as, uh, and obviously once you see the words, it, yeah. So same theme, different video, and but because I mean, this is yeah. We, let's not run about the the negative aspects of Facebook for the the way that's next to impossible to refine things is is one.
1: The <laughs> uh, the next plunder item is uh, I remember reading this actually, and I think I remember it was in. Um, it was in a book. I know it's an article, but it was in a book that was a bunch of uh, edited together things. And so the the article in question is basically Karl-Heinz Stockhausen uh, criticising how various uh, electronic musicians make their music. And this would have been written probably at the... 95, it says, but it's back in 95. Oh, yeah. I was going to say in the 90s, yeah, sometime, maybe late 90s. But yeah, and I remember reading this and just thinking... This is completely stupid. Like, <laughs> what does it matter what Carl Stockhausen thinks about these composers? And then the composers, the like, so composers, the, the artists are like Aphex Twin and Scanner, and uh, and they have they react to Carl Stockhausen's critique of their work, and are a bit too kind on him, I think. They're a bit like, oh, wow, Carline Stockhausen, duh-duh-duh, and it's just like, go on, say that he's an asshole, because that's just, that's completely out. I mean, that's my view of this article, but uh, th- did you ever read that?
0: Um, I've, I scanned through this, no pun intended, um, this week, and, yeah, whatever. I think the thing with, the thing with Stockhausen <laughs> in general is that, I mean, well, he's dead now, but he had the—he was experimenting with electronic music before most of us were born. And so we get born, and we have all this technology, and then we get to experiment with it and make stuff. And so we're inevitably going to end up doing some of the same stuff that he did decades earlier, but in a different way. You know, the same techniques are going to emerge through the technology. And I think that was... Like, one of Stockhausen's examples here was, oh, this... They should go and listen to Hymnen, and or they should go listen to Contact which has yeah. lots of stuff going on, you know, Contacter or whatever. Yeah, go yeah. and listen so- to
1: my piece this to to show you how to improve your your composition thing. That was the problem with it is that the, the people who he critiques I don't think are make have any pretensions that they're making music that is like Stockhausen's or influenced by Stockhausen's music. Um, it just happens to be electronic music, and that's the problem I have with it. Is it's like it's, it seems needless, um, and Stockhausen doesn't really come at it from a very. Um, I don't like the the direction he came at it from. Really, I think it's kind of mean and selfish. But uh, anyway, <laughs> there we go. That's, that's this one. Um, what was the name of the book that? I'm trying to remember. It's white. It's by Christoph Cox and somebody else. Uh, it's a very good book to read if you are um, ah, audio culture. That'll be the book. Okay. Audio culture, audio culture readings in modern music, which is basically multi chapters, and each chapter is either an article or some kind of um, uh, edited thing from an, another source, but. The, uh, the writers involved, are, uh, they're very widely spread across um, uh, across electronic music and modern music. Um, you know, you've got articles by Brian Eno and um, all sorts of people. So, I mean...
0: Let's see if we can get this into the plunder next week, rather than try and get it into this week's notes. Let's the
1: yeah, because I imagine that Scott's probably read it as well.
0: I'm familiar with it. I wouldn't say I've read it, but I'm familiar.
1: I I didn't read all of it. I got a, a good good bit of the way through, but uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of good stuff there. So maybe we put that in the plunder next week.
0: And now, the final piece of plunder, which is kind of slash news, which definitely you know it's 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 it, um, contemporary cultural news, but not necessarily audio news, um, is the death of Leonard, Leonard Nimoy this week as a thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like you can always tell something's happened something like, like someone's passed away when you're on Twitter and people start like mentioning this person. A lot of people who are completely disconnected start mentioning a person and you're like, Uh-oh. And, uh oh and Yeah, and then you go to the BBC website and it turns out that, you know you know, sometimes it's someone you don't care about, but Leonard Nimoy, nice chap, I do like Star Trek. The original series, just because you know it's not hugely geeky, I don't think, but it's it's charming, it's kind of fun, and uh, and also you know think back to the sixties when it was aired, and actually a lot of the ideas that they would have been playing with would have been quite new, you know. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a bit cliched now, but that's because other people have made them cliched. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I. Yeah. In terms
1: of yeah. Anyway, in terms of
0: geekiness and stuff, I I did enjoy his cameo in the first of the modern Star Trek movies as Spock. Like all when there was like multiple Spocks in the same film. It I, all gets very similar, These things. This, if you take you can't take these things seriously. That's the trick. But
1: yeah, I, I'm not so far because I, I saw I I saw the second of the new. Star Trek films in the cinema after the first one which was reasonably good and then the second one was pretty bad and all over the place and a big mess but the other thing that Leonard Nimoy was in that not many people really ever mention is he was the voice of Galvatron in the original Transformers the movie the good Transformers movie made in the 80s with 80s um, rock and roll music and and uh, good production values very good production values for a Transformers cartoon but he's the main evil bad guy who replaces Megatron and it's just brilliant because you know you grow up and you know that he's Spock who's this kind of nice guy effectively and then he becomes he, he, he voices like this evil guy and he does evil really well it's like <laughs> it, you can tell that Leonard Nimoy wants to take over the world, or something like that, It's great. Anyway, so what is actually in the plunder?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, what's in the plunder is a, a video that I've not seen, ah oh, well, I didn't get around to watching this one, Acoustic Labs, um, I've posted it on the YouTube, and it is a 4 minute 24 video that appears to feature acoustic instruments being played, presumably Star trek music. But I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a bit. You know, who knows? Actually, I should watch this. It could. It, yeah, the description focuses on Star Trek, so there's probably not any kind of Bilbo Baggins re- song in there. Um, <laughs>
1: that's probably. That's good. That's good.
0: I don't know. You, you never know. I'd like to think that there could be. So.
1: The old Star Trek Lord of the Rings crossover.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just being completely mad here. Scott would know. Len Nimoy did record a Bilbo Baggins song, didn't he?
1: Oh yeah, because he also did have a significant audio back catalogue. I think uh, Ars Technica had a an article about his um, Leonard Nimoy's musical career. Um, that would have made a good plunder. Oh well, we have missed that.
0: People just, I just encourage people to type Nimoy Baggins into Google, and um, yeah, the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. That's the one I was, I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, there you go. There Pop we, cool go. Show. we can look, look, Just the images is enough to make me
1: laugh and smile. OK. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of The Audio Podcast.
0: Yes, so that was episode 143, which had a title. I can't remember what it was. Um, Welcome, Solo Take.
1: Welcome, Solo Take. And um, of course, you can contact us here at The Audio Podcast by email show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk and also via Twitter, at The Audio Podcast. Yeah.
0: Yes, and The Audio Podcast is available on iTunes, on YouTube, on Gpodder, on Stitcher, and any other podcast client you may wish to use. And, of course, theaudiopodcast.co.uk is where all the past notes and everything are. Apparently, the tags have even been fixed.
1: Maybe, ah. Since
0: we, we're on website version 3 or 4
1: now, I don't know, since we started 100 and... 43 shows ago uh, at least three probably four I'd say yeah yeah okay and it's still being fixed haha <laughs> <laughs> okay cool Um we shall be back next week uh, hopefully Scott shall be able to join us and uh, we hope you have a good week indeed goodbye. I've been Samuel Freeman goodbye I've been Adam Young goodbye <laughs>